Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name's Tom Marvin. I'm a senior technical editor here at Bike Radar. And joining us in this week's Tech Q&A Podcast, we've got Warren Roster, senior road technical editor. How's it going, Warren? I'm very good, thank you, mate. Um, keeping busy, as it were. Oh, you're always busy, Warren. Never yeah, stop. Yeah, enjoying this, you know, enjoying this uh, ridiculously hot and humid weather we're having. Yeah. It's been pretty sticky past few days. I sweated a lot yesterday on the bike. Yeah, I mean, I went out. Um, I went out today for a few hours, and it it was basically raining the whole time, and it didn't feel any difference yesterday, to be honest. Huh. <laughs> yeah, first rain. My my garden's been loving a little bit of rain uh, in the past couple of days. Uh, and also joining us for the first time, his debut on the podcast is Oscar Huckle, who is what's your job title, Oscar, on Bike Radar? A technical writer. Technical writer. There we go. How are you getting on, Oscar? Yeah, good, thanks. Also enjoying the nicer weather, getting some more riding in. Good, good, good. What have you been riding recently? Uh, mainly been sticking to road. Okay. Any nice rides? Uh, went out on Sunday for 100k and got rained on for the first 10, 15 minutes. And after that, it was uh, pretty warm. Yeah, excellent stuff. Well, good to get some miles in on the road. Um, but today you are our mountain bike expert. So uh, you do you do quite a bit of mountain biking in your, in your time. So I think we're, we're in safe hands. Um, okay, well, uh, without too much further ado, I think we'll just crack on with some questions. We're going to start uh, with a road bike question from Brian, who sent this on uh, via Instagram. 
So he said, I haven't tried, but I've always wondered, is it truly unsafe to convert clincher wheels to tubeless using two layers of tubeless rim tape? Warren, what's your hot take on uh, converting non-tubeless road wheels into tubeless using a bit of sellotape? I would instantly say um, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> tubeless rims, you know, be them like modern hookless or, or original kind of hook designs, I, I made that little bit stronger to, you know, account for the additional forces of the tire actually being forced out to, to seal against the rim. Um, but that said, you know, I've been pretty sceptical on the whole tubeless compatibility noise that's been going on since hookless mm. rims came on the road. You know, quite simply, if a tire is built to the exacting ETRTO standards defined in tire sizing, then effectively they should work, you know, to the point where mm-hmm. I've run a set of apparently non-compliant tires on a set of hookless rims for over a year now, and I've had absolutely okay. zero issues. I've had, you know, mm-hmm. they haven't rolled off, they haven't burped, they haven't popped, you know, they haven't even lost any, you know, any air, to be honest. So, whilst mm-hmm. I'm sure then, Brian, um, some standard rims could potentially take the extra forces of a quick fee- fix, like double taping, you know, the rim to seal it. But I would say that what that would do, it impacts on the hooked hollow so if you think of the hook of a rim that hollow that's underneath which is where the tire seat um if you build up the base of the rim you're reducing all of those dimensions you reduce those dimensions and then you're looking at potential blow off or a failure when riding which absolutely nobody wants um to be honest if you've got a decent set of clinching wheels with good tires and light inner tubes you're still going to have really really good efficient rolling stock i suggest you wear out your wheels for switching or upgrading to tubeless don't look for shortcuts with 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 the road tubes. I'm not I'm not super okay with road tubeless. Um, on the mountain bike side of things, we're still relying on sellotape to to seal rims to run them tubeless. Is that is that still sort of the case on the road ones, or is it a bit more like the Mavic UST standard where you've got sealed rim beds? Or how does it all work? How do they look? It's pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. There are a couple of you know a couple of outliers out there. I think um, yeah, Mavic obviously. Um, a few of the fulcrum wheels are the same. Pack as well. Yeah, yeah, Fulcrum Campag, you know, obviously, you know, um, similar similar branding. And I have had a couple of other wheels where it's effectively a sealed rim, um, which again, you know, negates the use for tapes. But that again has its advantages and disadvantages because when you're getting into the, the sort of depths that you'll be using on a road rim, you know, when you get into a super deep, super deep rim, actually, you know, if you completely seal that rim bed, it's quite a difficult proposition to true them because an external mm-hmm. nipple on you know a 60 80 mil deep rim won't necessarily do the job of tensioning the wheel correctly so you need that you, you need that access from the bed to to get access to your nipples so to speak <laughs> yeah okay and um on on the mountain bikes when when you have a, a rim uh and tire combo that's quite loose and quite baggy you know if, if you can get a tire on easily with thumbs or pull them off especially without you know tire levers quite often people will run an extra uh strip of rim tape on there just to sort of bulk out that that gap you're saying below the hook um i've, I've not done a huge number of road tubeless setups i've done a few gravelly ones which tend to be a little bit harder than mountain bikes but on the road side of things it's always been a real struggle anyway is it do, are there any sort of rim tire combos that you found either of you guys to be particularly loose and easy to work on or to be honest i mean you only really notice when things don't work particularly well and i think that it, it tends to be like unfortunately i, I think that's why 
maybe Chivas on the road didn't get traction as quickly as it should have done because everybody was still wedded to a fairly narrow internal rim profile. Mm. And because you're running with that, um, it made tyres a lot, lot harder to see. Now everybody's sort of broadening things out. So, you know, the the internal standard for your average road rim is now approaching 20 mil plus and, and gravel that's even wider, even approaching, you know, almost mountain bike standards of width. Seating the tyre is a lot, lot easier, you know. You know, I, I just think back to those earlier days when we were still dealing with, you know, I mean, I can remember having some tubeless rims from, you know, when they first started to appear that were still like 17 mil wide, you know, like super narrow, you know, a rim width designed around a 23 mil tire. And, you know, I've had, like, I've wasted whole days just trying to seat a tire on, mm. on, on something that narrow to the point where I just went out and bought a compressor just because it was just easy huh. to try and, you know, try and seat something. Um, yeah. Now I use that compressor less and less because, um, you know, now now it's like the design's caught up with the technology. It's it's all got a lot simpler. It's got a lot easier. It's got easier to live with. So. Oscar, what's what's your sort of experience with road tubers? And have you got any top tips to to make life a little bit easier, perhaps? Um, so. Road tubeless, I haven't really used. I've used um, tubeless on gravel, okay. and I'm totally sold on it. Yeah. Um, being able to run lower pressures and no uh, pinch punctures, and just the ride quality feels much better. Mm-hmm. Um, road, I'm not quite so sold on yet. Um, again, as we've discussed, the standards for it are um, not quite as finalised as with gravel or, or mountain bikes, and it's been around on mountain bikes for years now. Um, in terms of Brian's question, um, I'd agree with Warren. I also wouldn't recommend uh, converting them to tubeless. Um, although the idea of um, double taping a rim is good because it will provide a better seal and it will make the tyre harder to to fit. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, well, we'll move on from the road of world tubers then. Uh, but we are going to stick with tyres uh, and rims for our first mountain bike question that comes from Nick uh, via a direct message. Uh, and he says, should I use inserts for cross-country racing and do I need to consider rim and tyre widths? Um, so should we just quickly talk what we're talking about very briefly with a tyre insert, Oscar. Yeah, so um, tyre inserts are something that um, predominantly mountain bikers use, but they are becoming more um, and more prevalent on uh, on gravel bikes as well, and even a little bit on road. Um, and basically, um, it's another layer between the tyre and the rim. Um, so it increases the sidewall stability um, because they provide further support and reduce deflection, um, so the sidewall um, can move or or fold if there's too much force put on it. Um, and also you can run lower pressures um, as well. Um, but the downside is it's extra weight. It's something else that you're putting into your into your wheel. Um, and it's rotating weight, mm-hmm. um, which um, is more important um, on wheels. And the uh, responsiveness of the bike is toned down a bit as well um, because it's extra weight. Yeah. That's the result of it. They also, um, because there's additional surface area on the inside of the tyre, you tend to have to use a bit more sealant, especially if they're not a particularly smooth finish. They, it's, it's incredible how much sealant, uh, yeah, even if it's closed cell foam, uh, the foam can actually really diminish the amount of sealant that sort of is free to be used in, inside the tyre. Yeah, when I, used to, when I used to work in workshops, quite often we'd see the inserts soak up the sealant mm. and, yeah, you just have to 
Normally more you're using, what, yeah. 60 to 90 milliliters of, of sealant, and yeah. I'd quite often put 150, 200 mil in there, which again adds to that whole weight thing. Yeah. So let's talk about cross-country racing. Obviously, one of the important things with XC is is lightweight. You know, there's a lot of quick accelerations out of corners, and that is where weight and rotating weight, you know, it, it might mathematically not be like thousands of percentages, but it does make a little bit of a difference. So generally speaking, cross-country racers will try and get away with the lightest tyres that they can get away with. Um, and inserts are going to increase weight in there. So what would you say to Nick? Yes or no for inserts for XC? Um, I'd probably urge on the side of no, because as, as you say, cross-country is all about being lightweight, and if you're having to add weight, um, then there must be a problem somewhere else. So, for example, Nick could think about using um, a meteor tyre if the course is more technical, like a down-country tyre, um, or something with a thicker carcass. Mm-hmm maybe have a look and see what sealant he's using maybe that's causing a problem if he's having a lot of punctures um tire pressures as well yeah so there's quite a few factors there to bear in mind but i think for xc it's it's overkill um, yeah but i think i've come i've certainly come across i'm going to sort of provide a counterpoint yeah um, because fair enough <laughs> there's nothing wrong with doing <laughs> yeah. that i think um maybe on the rear of a bike especially if you're racing on a hardtail yeah, you're a racing point. um more technical tracks having a heavier weight tire is going to obviously provide that additional puncture protection that you know an insert also would offer however running a lightweight tire with a slightly more supple uh, sidewall really does help with traction um, and comfort um, and so adding uh, an insert in there might bring it back up to the weight of that slightly beefier tire but you should still get most of the ride benefits from a super supple lightweight tire on there it's a bit of six one half dozen the other perhaps but as you said if he's racing more technical courses um, and wants to protect against punctures specifically um, then maybe yeah running a little bit more pressure and just sort of taking a hit on the grip or running a slightly heavier uh, you know more protected sidewall tire might be the way to go if anything just for the faff level and the requirement not to double the amount of sealant you're using in there. And of course, you know, these inserts aren't particularly cheap. Um, you're looking at, you know, 50 quid, 50, if not more. 60, yeah. 70, 80 quid, you know, Cushcore, they're 80 odd quid an end, I think now. Uh, and even the cheapest ones are still coming in at the thick end of 40, 50 quid. So yeah. maybe that's a fair advice for Nick there. Yeah. And going on from that, um, some of them can be a real pain set up as well. Absolute so nightmare. All of that to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other question that Nick drops onto the end of that is do I need to consider rim and tyre widths um, and a very quick answer to that is not really no uh, with inserts um, many of them do come in different widths um, and different things but you just need to make sure that you're mixing and matching your tyre width uh, with your, your insert width um, so yeah generally speaking just pick the right one um, yeah okay right we'll, we'll go back to the uh, the world of road uh, and another Nick has sent us uh, a message and it's about his brakes it's a bit of a longer question here so <clears throat> I have two bikes with hydraulic Shimano Di2 shifters. He's a lucky boy. Uh, my Canyon Ultimate with Ultegra and my Focus Maras AX I upgraded to non-series hydraulic Di2. Even using the same wheels and rotors, why is the braking so much better on the Focus with the non-series components? The Ultegra braking is okay, but the power and modulation on the Focus it's heads, is heads and shoulders above it. On, on the face of it, it sounds like a setup issue here, Warren, but have you got any more insight? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd just say, you know, that it is really, it's just a hard one to fathom, you know. Although the difference is between Ultegra and the non-series brakes, which, although Nick doesn't say it, it's probably something like a RS-785. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty minimal. Both have 22mm ceramic pistons, both are dual, you know, so they're pushing, pushing the pads from either side. 
the difference really is that the Ortega is packaged a little smaller and it's a little lighter you know both use those um, radiator thin pads to, to dissipate heat too you know um, Ultegra is intended to be used with the you know center lock freezer rotors you know ice tech rt800s um the non-series ones it, it, they, you would usually be spec with the you know they're just the steel rt99 but as nick says he's using the same wheels and rotors across both and it's knocked down to the rotors anyway and as you know you can all say that the, the main loss of performance and especially the feel of brakes is either the hydraulic lines or the pads themselves I can only imagine that maybe the Ortega pads have either become contaminated with oil, grease, or you know, general road um, detritus. I was gonna, I was gonna swear then, but I cut <laughs> myself. Um, and those on the Maris cross bike haven't, you know, because maybe they're they're not used on the road quite so much. Um, you can easily check your pads for contamination where you know glazing. And the easy thing I would say would just switch the pads between the two bikes as they're, you know, they're they're cross compatible and see if that mm -hmm. difference persists. Um, if it's not the pads, they can only think that maybe the canyon has a bit of air in its system that's having an effect on the feel. It doesn't have to be much, you know. Air on the system is so easy to diagnose. You know, I just say get on your bike when it's stationary, pull the levers. If you can pull the lever in so it sinks towards the bar, you've more than likely got a bit of air in the system. If, however, mm -hmm. the resistance is there, you can feel the pads grab the rotor, so it stops or stiffens prior prior to bottoming out on the bar. It's probably okay you're probably not dealing with air balls in the system. So, it, you know, I, I was going to say, you know, when you when I had the, this question sent to me pre this, I was going like, to throw it out to the matting box in the room because you guys have got so much more experience on disc brakes than, than as roadies have. Yeah, what do you think, Oscar? Yeah, so it's a bit weird that he finds the um, R785 braking, um, uh, is it better or worse? Better than the old yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if anything, with those brakes, I found them quite binary. And the main thing that Shimano changed when they um, created um, tiered uh, calipers and brakes um, was that they changed the way in which the brakes felt. Um, I think the new ones use servo wave and, they, and they've got a greater pad clearance. Um, that could be a reason why the um, brakes um, feel better. Uh, because I believe the first um, 8020 series of Ultegra, they've got a tighter tolerance than the 785s. Um, so maybe that's why he's, he's finding the uh, performance not quite as good. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll move on for that. Hopefully, Nick, that'll help uh, solve some of the issues. So maybe a solid bleed, check your pads. Uh, and maybe pad material. Sorry, from a mountain bike side of things, and you know, obviously we've got sintered, organic, semi-sintered, blah 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 blah. Like, is that a, is that a thing on road disc brakes? Different, yeah, it is. yeah. So, what what would be the uh, stock pad, and what would be the maybe the pad that you could be looking for? Uh, so, the stock pad in the new Ultegra, well, in the H20 Ultegra ones, not the brand new one. Um, he's probably got LO3As, um, and I think they make a metal version of those. So he he could try that. Okay, yeah. All right, well, um, we'll move on to our next mountain bike question, which comes from Brett. How far do you guys dare ride without carrying anything? Water, food, tools, tubes, etc. Am I a fool for riding properly packless while hitting tracks in South Wales? I think we, again, maybe slightly differ in our approaches to this, Oscar. You being maybe slightly more sensible and me being um, a bit more reliant on everyone else. Go on, what do you think? Uh, so... Um We'll start with the tools first. I mean, you can never plan a puncture or if there's going to be a technical malfunction. So 
I think what I'd say to that element of the question is, um, yes, you can ride without them, but you may want to think about how long a walk you've got back to the start of your ride Mm -hmm. um, and plan it around that. Uh, But no, I'd I'd never ride without them. Um, And it's the same with with, um, water as well. Um, I mean, generally, you should drink a bottle an hour, and I'm not the best at that either. Um, Food, you can get away with for an hour, but anything more than that, then you need to eat something. So... I think you can get away without food and water for an hour. Tools, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I know that your answer is very different to that. <laughs> yeah, my answer is ride with mates who carry them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am that guy. No, no, no. I, um, yeah, I think uh, my general rule of thumb is if I can be bothered to walk home or walk back to the van or whatever it is, then certainly there's you know there's woods where you know a lot of mountain bikers these days I guess tend to go and session little. Uh, woodland trails and, and for those rides where i'm never more than a 10 15 minute spin from from the van i i literally just will carry absolutely nothing if i can get away with it because riding without stuff is better south wales bigger hills uh, than say the forest of dean um and i think if i was doing like a big loop from from the van hitting three or four different uh hillsides then yeah i probably would carry a little bum bag with maybe a multi-tool maybe a pump if i remember uh, and a bar and a bottle but that's largely it um, I would say for those who, you know, riding without a pack is beautiful. It's so much better than riding with a, a even a bum bag. Um, and there are plenty of products on the market there where you can stuff like a, a tiny lightweight tube, one of those tubulitos or whatever they are, maybe a CO2 canister um, and a bottle on the bike and maybe like a little uh, little cereal bar. That would keep you going for a couple of hours, I reckon, unless you, you know, have a big breakfast, have a pint of water yeah. before you set off and just make sure you're rehydrating and, and fueling up when you get back. Um, but yeah that's what I tend to do really Um, yeah if you're going on your own obviously be a bit more careful Um, but yeah was you do a lot of gravel riding yeah and a lot of road obviously a lot a lot of road cycling how much stuff do you sort of pack with you when you're going out on your own I usually try and travel as as little as possible I mean a good tip for for gravel riding and and road riding especially is um, if you're going on a big ride know your area and I would say make sure there are a lot of churchyards on your route mm. because churchyards yep. have free drinking water every single one in the country it's just you know because you've got to water the graves haven't you've got to water the graves so you can get some free water there that's why i do all, all the time you know i i tend to if i'm on a road bike i tend to use a you know like a tool canister in one of my bottle cages yep. what cages and then just a bottle in the other and then because then I have no stuff in my pockets and load up my pockets with multi-tools and spare tubes or anything like that. It all sits in that, that bottle case that I would use if I was out riding, you know, a hundred mile day or whatever. But mm-hmm. if, you know, if I know the route I'm on has got a few churches or, you know, churchyards on the way, I can get, I can get a free fill up for my bottle once I've emptied yeah. it. But, you know, I, I'm not the best person to take advice on, to give advice on um, fueling on big rides. I think um, one of my gravel kind of packs that i take out it's got an energy bar in it that's been there for about a year because i just go out riding and i enjoy myself too much i forget to eat and just keep going and yep. keep going and keep going and then i have like a sort of a massive downer and end up you know riding past a farm shop garage whatever and just buying the biggest lead loaded piece of carbohydrate rubbish <laughs> necking that and carrying on serene. exactly you know so it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not the best person for fueling because i just forget I, you know. yeah i think I, I'm, I'm very much the same tend to be having to, burn. yeah you have too much having too much fun to eat it's just something <laughs> you do to exist you know you don't you know 
Don't eat for fun. I think one of the good things about modern bikes is just how reliable they really are these days. And um, certainly on a mountain bike, I, I'm going to touch as much wood as I can right now. But I actually can't remember the last puncture I got on a mountain bike. Oh, you've doomed it now. Yeah, I've absolutely <laughs> killed myself. I mean, I, I went for a ride yesterday from, I live in uh, the north, southeast, north, northeast of Bristol. And Ashton Court is down in the south west of bristol vegas you got you got you know 25 minute pedal across town and then a lap of the woods and stuff like that and um if i'm doing a lap of that on a, on a test bike I, I, I can't remember the last time i carried anything with me like worst case i'll just walk home it'll be all right get a little blister from the old race slippers but it's not the end of the world is it yeah but i you know i i have been caught out on that you know one of our our mutual acquaintances mutual friends um esteemed photographer russ burton has <laughs> has rescued me from so I was cheerful on, on that, more than one occasion where I've just found <laughs> him up going, I'm not sure where I am. I've torn my rear tire. Um I haven't got anything to do it with. Um if I start walking and saying you were pin, will you come and find me? <laughs> and fair play to him, you know, he does mind, but he has come and found me. He does mind, does he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Russ is uh, Russ is a, a force. I've got I've got an awful lot of time for. Him. He's one of my favourite people, uh, but he's <laughs> he's got a reputation for being a, being a bit grumpy from time to time, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, I've I've helped him out on rides when, uh, in fact, talking about tire inserts, I went for a gravel ride with Russ um, a couple of years ago now, actually, when they first sort of came, appeared, and our ride was saved by a tire insert because we could not fix. The punctures he he kept getting so uh, he he rolled it back on the rim and on a tire insert so um yeah there we go right let's move on to our final road question uh, and this comes from sam so there's with colnago bringing out bikes with 3d printed titanium lugs offering custom geometries do you think one day we'll see the end of the stock sized bike Will we all one day end up riding around on truly bespoke bikes or is the hassle of picking your own shape just too much effort or not even needed? What do you reckon, Warren? Well, I would say as someone who owns more than one custom bike, Mm. um, I'm all for the bespoke service and the experience of getting something made to measure. Um, Is it necessary? Absolutely not for the vast majority of riders. If you have certain physiological needs, then great. So I'd say a custom bike isn't exactly needed, but one is a completely different thing. The 3D print... Do you think if... Sorry. Oh, go on, sorry. No, no, no. Interject, it's fine. No, 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 crack on, yeah. Okay. Well, I'd say the 3D printing, you know, revolution is really exciting. And what Colnago offer with a C68 um, on, the, on the, you know, the even more expensive than the standard C68 tie, you know, tie lugged option is, um, is fantastic. And then you've got smaller brands like Pilot touting a full 3D printed titanium frame. It's all very cool. The C68 custom tie is a very, very expensive bike that's totally mm. handcrafted in Italy. That all comes at a premium. You know, if you think that, you know, Podigar and his cohorts are riding Colnago's off the peg, uh, V3 RS that's made in Asia or the new Prototipo, um, as part of a production run of sizes, then it's not a case of lower quality. It's just economies of scale, you know. Mm-hmm. I, but I do see a big future in 3D printing in bike tech, though I think it's more likely to come in contact points. You know, 3D printed saddles we already have. You know, specialised physique, um, and recently entering into that game, got Seller Italia and Seller San Marco. But imagine having your hindquarters scanned and a saddle printed mm-hmm. to match. That'd make a huge difference in you know rider performance due to comfort, and then you've got the likes of Hexer already offer a scan your head and print a helmet service. Um, 
So don't see it that far away from having a custom printed saddle, custom printed footbeds, perhaps even custom formed bars, all to match your grip. But I think the standard shape frame of forks is here to stay, you know, but perhaps for your custom point, you know, all your contact points are absolutely custom fitted. That's more than enough. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Oscar, if you were going down the route of getting a, a super Gucci road bike, you'd bother with something that was custom built for you? Or do you think you'd just pick something off the peg? Um, I think it depends on the bike and how the geometry of that of the bike and how it matches to me. Um, but I'm a pretty normal build, so I don't really see the need You're in the personally. Yeah, for something personalised. Mm -hmm. But do you think do you think we'll ever get to the point where having you know like a a custom printed bike is you know is, it would be so au fait, everything would be so normal that do you think we'll get to that point? No, um, I mean as. Warren touched on it. it costs money to manufacture bespoke products. Um, it's easier for a brand to offer three or four sizes. Mm -hmm. And um, another reason why um, bikes like the C68 cost a lot of money um, is because they have a wider range of sizes and more more moulds mm -hmm. um, when they're manufacturing them. Um, so hopefully the um, process gets easier for that and then the cost gets passed to customers uh, and us. Um, but no, it's not going to Come come and place. I don't think. No, fair enough. I uh, in my uh, I had a gap year, and uh, I spent a year working in a sweet factory, which was delicious. Uh, and I treated myself to a custom built mountain bike frame. Uh, and promptly, about a year later, every single standard on it was completely out of date. It had twenty six inch wheels. It had a twenty seven point two seat tube, so no dropper posts. It had a straight head tube, so no modern forks. Uh, it was a real shame because it was a beautiful frame utterly useless for anything modern and was basically out of date within a year or two yeah so i've got a few of those my experience i've got I've got, yeah. I've got some of those as well times they, move yeah. on they're they're, they? they're a moment in time they're you know they're, they're beautiful objects probably destined to be hung on a wall rather than mm. ridden anymore but i think mine's somewhere but, in my but then again rafters. then again i'm not going to denigrate the um the process of, of making of, of getting a custom bike made you know, it's some of the best experiences I've had is that interaction with people and sort of explaining what mm. you wanted and and coming up with something truly bespoke. You know, you know, one of my custom bikes is a is a road bike, but I when I was talking to them and talking about geometry, I wanted it to be to emulate one of my favourite ever bikes. I just wanted it made lighter. You know, and I wanted it to be you know because that bike was aluminium, the the bike I had made was carbon, and it's phenomenal. It's absolutely you know it's a sensational bike. Unfortunately, um, it's got rim brakes, so. Parley, yes, it's my Parley Zero, my beautiful yeah. Parley Zero, which I love. Um, but then you know the 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 other bike I have is Titanium, built by Linsky, and that was a just a fantastic experience, you know, because I wanted I wanted a sort of you know they didn't really offer a bike that was all road. I didn't want a like full on gravel bike, and I didn't want a full on race bike. I wanted a mashup between the two, and. You know the experience of getting that made by them was so good because I said I want to try this, I want to do this, I want to do this, and their their response was, yeah, let's go for it. You know, so it's got kind of racy angles, but it's got big tire clearances and it's got some comfort build it built in. And then I said, well, can I have that helix tubing just because it looks cool for no performance reason whatsoever? And it's still a fabulous bike. And I, you know, you know, it's like it's one of my go-to things when I'm not testing a bike. It's like, oh, I'm going to spend the day on that because it's you know, it's it's sensational. So I wouldn't denigrate going down the custom route it's just forever it's going to be an expensive thing you know you can buy an off the peg suit in you know on the high street from Marks and Spencer's or whatever or you can go to Savile Row it's you know 
the the outcome's pretty much the same, but the experience of one over the other is, is a different thing. And also not that we'd advocate selling your bike, but if you buy something custom built and you ever want to sell it, then it could be problematic, couldn't it? Yeah, true that. Yeah, a bike for life or a bike to put in your Exactly, yeah. Garage. yeah. You just have to put in the listing, you know, your exact dimensions. If you fit this, <laughs> yeah. this may work like for this, you. And, and if you want a helix tube, then <laughs> I'm your man. Buy my links. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on to our final mountain bike question from someone who calls themselves Canevo. Uh, I'm guessing they've got a well, they do have a turbo Kniva. Uh Should I be looking at fitting these newer 2 mil thick rotors from the likes of Golfer and Hope? My current rotors are getting a bit thin. I've got a specialised turbo Kniva and weigh 95 kilos if it makes a difference. So talk us through thicker rotors. What's the deal with that, Oscar? Um, so well, thicker rotor means that it will wear down um, slower. Um, mm. But I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but I very, very rarely... Um, wear through rotors so it's not something that I'd bother with doing and wouldn't really see a performance benefit from going for something aftermarket. Um, generally um, the brands um, say that you should match um, their rotors with the calipers and from what I've tried in the past I find that to be true mm-hmm. um, so I would stick with the manufacturer um, and that's what worked best it will cause the least amount of problems um, the Kinevo is quite a long travel bike, um, so something that um, Kinevo could try um, is perhaps fitting a larger rotor, yeah. um, get more power, and um, it'll wear down um, slower. Probably better heat management as well, that's one of the big things, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, if, if you're weighing in at 95 kilos and you're on a 18, 19 kilo bike, that's a lot of mass to, to bring to a halt. So as you say, maybe... Uh, check the warranty and all that sort of jazz but there's a yeah. lot of bikes coming now with 220 mil rotor options um, so maybe stick that on if, you, if you're suffering from power issues um, I have worn out rotors before but it takes quite a long time um, so obviously this guy's riding his or her bike quite a lot um, yeah the, the, the heat management aspect of a thicker rotor as well is, is something to consider potentially um, my experience with those thicker ones though is that if your caliper hasn't been designed with a thicker rotor in mind, you're you're removing 0.2 of a mil of clearance uh, within that, which makes setup a little bit more difficult. If you get a ding, it makes it a bit more scrapey, you get less mud clearance, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think um, that question's also um, quite good for road and gravel because they tend to have tighter tolerances than a mountain bike caliper. Um, and um, I think when it comes to particularly road, some manufacturers have made rotors that are designed to be lighter weight and... Uh, better heat management but then they're a bit more flexible so they bend easier so perhaps having a, a thicker rotor could be stronger and actually stop stop that rubbing yeah yeah but on mountain bikes less warping yeah. maybe yeah but on mountain bikes i don't think it's really a problem yeah okay um so maybe our advice is stick with what you got well replace like for like or you know keep keep sort of the the brand of the brand i don't think I mean, it's i don't think it's the biggest issue in the world but it's probably just the easiest option just to replace what it is and upsize your rotors if you need a bit more power perhaps um, so long as the warranty of your frame and fork can take a 2 or 220mm yeah and finally make sure that you're using the um, correct compound of pads for the type of riding you're doing that could be another thing to bear uh, in mind okay, yeah. and if you use well if you are going to change pads then best to get a new rotor so that the uh, pads and rotors match mm-hmm. and certainly yeah and give them a good clean item. a friend of mine put a new rotor on a bike recently and the brakes stopped working particularly nicely, and I said, "Oh, you did clean the rotor first, didn't you?" And like, well, why do I... always clean a brand new rotor because they come with all sorts of contaminants on from from the factories and and from storage and stuff. So, yeah, 
Okay. Well, I think that probably rounds us out for today's uh, tech Q&A. If you have got a tech question, we do have the new podcast at bikeradar.com email address. So please feel free over the next few weeks to pop any of your tech questions in and we will endeavour to answer them in the next tech Q&A podcast in about a month's time. Um, Also, uh, please do drop us some feedback or any questions or tips or maybe like a podcast subject that you'd like to hear. We're all ears at podcast at bikeradar.com. And of course, please do leave us a five-star review on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps. So, yeah, thank you ever so much, Warren, for your time. And uh, thanks, Oscar, for your debut on the Bike Radar podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back. Uh, on Friday. We'll have another podcast on Friday. Thanks for that. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 